Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 21st episode of the Believe in the Long Run podcast series. I am your host, Dom Santina, and to start off the podcast, we'd like once again to hit our social media and our podcast platform networks, so that way you can stay up to date with what's going on with the series and catch our previous episodes. So you can find our social media on two different sources. We are on Twitter at the Long Run 5 and we are on Instagram at Believe in the Long Run. Then you can find all of our previous episodes on any of your favorite podcast platform networks such as Apple iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, and of course the one and only Believe.com. Go back, take a listen to any of our previous episodes. We've got a, quite a few good ones out there and we also have a fantastic one here for you today. The interview is very in-depth, very lengthy, but it's a very good listen. I'm not going to waste too much time here in the intro because I want to you to hear the interview in full length. So I'm going to give you a brief introduction, then we'll get to the pod or to the interview. We'll have a quick wrap up, and that'll wrap up episode number 21. I'm not going to talk about any news or anything because we were already missing one podcast from some technical difficulties, so I'm actually technically a podcast behind, so we're going to use this one to help catch us up, and by the end of this week, we'll try to get another podcast up with more news, hopefully another guest, and kind of catch up on stuff so that way we can be back on track. So look for episode 22 later this week. But our guest this week, I am very excited that he decided to join the show and let us pick his brain a little bit because he was one of my professors in the sports management department at Rochester University, and he was the cross-country coach primarily back in the 1990s, and he led the team, built the team and led the team to a lot of success back then, and then stepped away for a little bit, did some other things, and then started coaching at the high school level. He ran collegiately, originally at Ohio State, but then decided to transfer colleges. He'll tell us that story and more. But we welcome Dave Hudson to the podcast. He's very in-depth. He loves talking cross-country. sat in the classroom many times, and even in his office sometimes when I went in there to go talk to him. Just about cross-country, get him started, and we had many good conversations back and forth about cross-country and running just in general. And so I was excited when he wanted to join the podcast. The interview went great. I'm excited for you guys to listen to it. So without wasting any more time, let's introduce Dave Hudson to the podcast. On your mark, get set. Well, I appreciate you asking me to do this. Yeah, so, no problem. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I'm not sure what you'll get out of it, but hey, <laughs> we, can, we can give it a try and see what happens. Something's better than nothing, so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so. If you're ready, I'll just start with the first question then. Yeah, sure. All right, so how did you start running? Well, uh, where I grew up, I uh, was in the southeast part of Ohio, and uh, sports was always a big part of the culture there. Uh, and, you know, about, I grew up about nine miles uh, west of Wheeling, West Virginia, right on the Ohio River, so in the upper Ohio Valley. And so as a kid growing up, I was heavily involved in sports uh, in the sense of pickup games. But as a, as a kid, the only organized sport we had was basically Little League Baseball. And I loved baseball, and I played it, that kind of thing. 
but I was always interested in maybe doing something a little different. You know, like I said, we played lots of other games like football, uh, baseball, kickball, basketball, whatever we get our hands on, we were doing. But we were outside, you know, basically running all day long. So I already kind of had a little bit of a base of uh, being in decent shape as a kid. And so um, my dad, he his best friend would happen to be a really good runner. And he would run in these different road races uh, around the country. And there was a race in Wheeling, West Virginia back then called uh, the Elby's Big Boy Long Distance Run. And it was a 20K race. And he would come up every year and he would spend a night with us the night before the race. And then he would go run in the race the next morning. And so I was about 10 years old, and, and uh, he'd come to, to do this like he did every year. And the night before the race, he was basically telling us about, you know, the race and that kind of thing. And the more I listened to him, I, I, I was getting more excited about this. I thought, man, this is something I would like to do. And so I can remember going to bed that night, and Jim, I had not done, had not done any kind of formal type of training whatsoever. And I told my dad, I said, you know what, Dad, I, I want to uh, run that race tomorrow morning. And he said, Dave, you got to do some training before you actually go out and run a, a 20K race. So I said, okay. So the next day, uh, I got up, and, and it was a mile to my elementary school and a mile back to my house. And so I got up, and I ran to my school and ran back home. And I started doing that every day, slowly but surely, and uh, kept on kind of increasing the mileage a little bit. Just I, I wasn't coached or anything. I was coaching myself for the most part. And uh, back then, of course, Runner's Rule magazine was kind of my Bible, so to speak. Every month I would get that and study that from cover to cover and get training tips, that kind of thing. And then I started running in different road races um, around the, the Ohio Valley and you started getting you know, better and better at it. Uh, we didn't have any kind of organized uh, cross-country track team in, in our school district until high school. And so I uh, didn't really have an opportunity to, to compete in that, in that kind of setting until that point. And so once I got to high school, uh, that's whenever uh, my, I got some coaching. Uh, my career started to kind of take off a little bit and started to develop into a decent runner, uh, especially you know in track and more the mid-distance side, uh, especially in that area. Um, and that kind of started the, the whole process of colleges started to uh, kind of come after me at that point. And, uh, and so I chose to go to Ohio State as where I ended up going initially. So that's kind of where I everything kind of started and takes me up to that point at least. Right. So I know, like I said, we've talked about it, but you went to Ohio State, you decided that wasn't for you, and then you ended up at an NAIA school, right? Right, right, yeah, yeah. So Ohio State was, I mean, they're all, it's a great school. Uh, but it was just way too big of a, of a school for me. Uh, at that time, I think they had like uh, fifty-five to 60,000 students there. Uh, and so for me, it was just way too big. I got lost in, in the shuffle in a hurry. And so I ended up uh, transferring out of there, and I was getting a little burned out on running because, you know, I had been doing it for several years, and I put a lot of pressure upon myself to do well. And so I was starting to get feel a little bit of a burnout. And so... I, I thought, you know what, I'm just going to step away from it for a year or two. I chose specifically a small junior college down in West Virginia that didn't have any kind of cross-country track program at all. And I just went there and just, uh, just started, you know, kind of learning to love right again and started to train my uh, on my own. And uh, kind of out of the blue, I started getting letters uh, from 
a coach that had tried to recruit me in high school from a small school down in Arkansas called Harding University. And so he you know, started sending me letters and postcards and saying, hey, listen, I hear you're not running uh, you know, at the college level right now uh, like you had intended. Would you be interested in coming down to Harding and, and running down here? And so I uh, said, you know, what? You know I think I'll, I'll, I'll do that. So I ended up transferring down there, and um, he, he was a great coach. You know, he'd been on several different uh, World Track and Field Championship coaching staffs, you know, Olympic coaching staffs, that kind of thing. And he really, you know, kind of took me to the next level uh, when it came to my uh, my running ability. And he was, you know, they would be all conference and academic All-American, all that kind of stuff. And so uh, it was a really great experience for me uh, in, in running for him. And, and the guys I ran with, it was a really close-knit group. Uh, we came from all over the United States, uh, and we just you know, developed lifelong friendships, too, because of that. What was your training like when you were at Harding? Um, it, it was probably a little bit different than a lot of other places at that time. Uh, our, my coach uh, there... Uh, was good friends with uh, Joe V. Hill, who was the head coach at its state that, at that time. And he you know, was also on some Olympic coaching staff, especially on the distance side. And, uh, and V. Hill was really big on, uh, on what, he, what they referred to down there as steady state training. And, um, and so we you know, focused a lot of our training around usually every, almost every Monday. It was going to be a steady state run. And I'll tell you what I mean by that here in a second. Uh, then, you know, we would follow up with, you know, some, some mileage the next day. And then it was, you know, incorporated into that was uh, uh, interval training and, uh, and then threshold training uh, and uh, uh, a lot of repeat type uh, workouts, that kind of thing. And so it's it was, you know, one of those things that uh, for me, I didn't have that kind of advanced type of training when I was in high school. And I think that's what really you know helped me. Uh, kind of flourish under under that kind of uh, mentality. But the thing that was, I think, a little bit different than a lot of other places at that time was that Coach was really good about um, uh, really tailoring the workouts to your specific needs on the individual basis. And I think that really helped me because I had some guys in my, in my pro- that I ran with, you know, those guys were going 100, 120 miles a week, uh, going crazy mileage, which to me was crazy. Uh, and it's for me, if I was going up that high, I was going to probably get injured. So, you know, for me, I was probably racing my best when I was going uh, 55 to 65 miles a week. And if I went above that, that's when I started having some injury issues because of that. And so, uh, so that's kind of what I learned at that point that, you know, there's not one set method of training uh, for everybody that's out there. Uh, it's, you know, a lot of it depends on, you know, your your needs in the uh, in your style of running, that kind of thing. Uh, but go, go back to what I said a second ago, steady state. That what that basically is, and it's kind of weird. And I don't hear as much anymore. But at that time, especially in the south and southwest part of the United States, steady state running was basically what we refer to up here as tempo running. Uh, so you'd say you're going out for a tempo run. It's basically the same thing as steady state run. Uh, and so uh, it was just a, just a different type of terminology is all it was. Uh, so, but it, it was it was a really good experience for me. And I, and I learned a lot in how I eventually trained my own athletes and became a coach further on down the road. Now, I remember one workout you told me in class one day about involving mile repeats in a van. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, coach was really big on very little recovery time in between any kind of repeat, and so we, 
there was a long stretch of road uh, that went ran along the edge of a highway, and uh, that that road that he had marked off was exactly a mile. And so basically, he he, he would uh, we warmed up out to this this highway. He would drive he drove the van out there and met us out there. And so we would go down, we would run a mile, you know, basically at race pace, but harder than race pace uh, for a five-mile race pace. And, you know, so we're cranking miles out, uh, you know, typically sometimes the first one would be like around 435 or so. And so then he would say, okay, guys, you just get in the van. The only rest you're going to get is from the time you cross the line to the time you get back to the start line. As soon as we got out of the van, we got back up there, which only took probably like four or five minutes at the most. He, we would jump back out of the van and go again. And so our goal was to try to go five seconds faster each mile. And so by the time we're cranking out the last mile, you know, we're trying to drop down close to 420, 425 last mile. And it was extremely tough workout. But it, it was also a workout that really challenged us mentally, too, uh, in that regard. And, it, and like I said, it was, it, it was a... Uh, you don't hear that kind of workout utilized uh, much anymore. I almost called it torture just about. So. Yeah, it definitely would seem like torture. <laughs> yeah. So. So you get done with running. You're done with college. Where do you? What happens after that? Well, uh, for me, uh, my bachelor's degree was ended up being in physical education. I was certified to teach PE K through 12, and so I. Uh, I uh, ended up, you know, getting some calls for interviews in different schools around the country, and um, it, I ended up going down to a small school down in Texas, uh, in Austin, Texas, and my uh, first job was uh, I was teaching PE K through 12. I was the middle school athletic director. I was the girls varsity basketball coach, the girls varsity volleyball coach, and the guys and girls track coach. And so I, I learned a lot in my first two years, probably more than what a lot of people learn in the first 10 years in their career. And so, uh, but it started to kind of mold me as a coach and trying to kind of figure out what my coaching philosophy was and uh, how I wanted to uh, coach athletes, not only from a training perspective, but also from a relationship perspective. Uh, so I coached there for a couple of years and then ended up coaching uh, at another school in Houston, Texas, um, and was cross-country track coach at that school uh, as well. Um, and that's when I really realized that, yeah, this is something I would love to do uh, as a career uh, for going down the road. And so I, um, uh, you know, being growing up in, in the Midwest and then transplanting, I kind of had a transition in Arkansas where I was going to school there, but then going to Texas, I was far away from my family. And so because of that, you know, got a little bit, uh, not say homesick, but uh, I wanted to be moved back closer to, to home. And so uh, it just turned out that there was an opportunity up here in uh, Michigan. At that time, it was Michigan Christian College. And um, and so I got a call from the president of the college at that time and asked me if I would be interested in interviewing for the position uh, at the school. Uh, and it was basically what I really wanted to do, and that was be a college cross-country and track coach. And so I uh, said, yeah. So I came up, interviewed, we hit it off, and then uh, uh, started to coach at the college level. Uh, and of course, Michigan Christian College eventually became Rochester College, which is now Rochester University. Right. What were some highlights from your time at coaching at Rochester? 
Uh, one of the things I was probably uh, I, I loved coaching at the college level, um, and the, the, the great thing about coaching at college level is because you, you get to recruit basically who you want to be on your team. Uh, it's a little bit you know different at the high school level, uh, but it, 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 one of the things I was very fortunate to do is be able to recruit a team slowly but surely of people that uh, that kind of fit my training this philosophy. And, uh, and they uh, kind of really took hold of that, fortunately. And so we had some success with on our, for a small college, uh, on our, both of our men's women's teams. You know, I think when my women's team was, uh, in a key mind, this is, this, that, that time was called the National Small College Athletic Association. Uh, it was a small colleges for all over the United States to compete in this. And we were, you know, national runners up. Uh, four years in a row for women's cross country. And then on the men's side, we had been national were up a couple times and then eventually won the national championship for uh, small colleges uh, in 1998, 99, if I remember correctly, uh, which was a, a big highlight for us. And uh, one of the, the runners on that team specifically uh, was uh, Kate Ruimaki, uh, who was uh, just a, a, a really good guy all around and, and a great runner. And uh, I was very fortunate to be able to get him on my team, which he really helped lead us to that national championship at that time. Uh, so that was a, a major highlight, I think, uh, in that regards. Uh, but I think that, you know, one of the things, too, is that it was fun to build a college team from scratch. Because when I took it over, it, it was almost non-existent. And so we slowly built the program. Uh, and I, I should say we. I should say we. I should, should say I because I didn't have any assistant coaches at all. It was just me. And slowly built the program to where um, we started getting some, actually some pretty decent sprinters, too, involved. So I had a couple of sprinters from Texas uh, that decided to come up here and run. Another guy from Maryland, one from New Jersey. And, um, and they were, you know, really started to compete really well at some of the meets that we went to, uh, indoor and outdoor meets around the Midwest. And people, like, started to wonder, wait What's this Rochester College? And so, uh, so it, that was, you know, a highlight too in trying to just develop build a program uh, for the most part. Uh, but one of the things that for me, I, 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 I really struggled. I love coaching college athletes, uh, but the one thing I, I hated about the whole job was the recruiting part of it. Because uh, you know, when you're recruiting, it's it's basically you're selling. Uh, you're a salesperson. You're selling yourself. You're selling your program, you're selling the school, and trying to, to sell them to come to, to the school to learn for you. And and, I, and I, that's just something that I didn't really care for as much. Uh, that's the reason why I pretty much got out of it after uh, four or five years of, of doing it. Um, but in a transition period, though, I, I started to kind of pick up on some other things, which we can talk about here in a minute if you like. So. Yeah, so you took a few years off, and then you found your way to Lake Orion coaching right. high school right right uh yeah, yeah well you were the head track coach right but you helped out with cross country a little bit too right right yeah so before i actually even got to lake orion though i um uh i had started while i was still coaching at rochester I had started a middle school cross country and track club program here in rochester and I had been approached by the Rochester, uh, it was called Rochester Avon Recreation Authority, RARA, is what it was called. And RARA uh, is basically the city recreation department for Rochester and Rochester Hills. And they had approached me saying, hey, 
do you think it would be a good idea to start a middle school cross-country program because they don't have cross-country as a sport in the middle schools here in Rochester? So I said, yeah, it would be a great idea. So we started that program. I uh, you know, started it from scratch, and uh, we built that program up to where you know, we started to get some decent runners competing in it, and we kind of developed those runners. And uh, eventually turned right into from not only a cross-country program in the fall, but also into a track program. And, you know, we had different athletes that came out of that program that went on to compete at Rochester High School and Rochester Adams. Um, and you know, such as Megan Bothels, you know, who you know, went on to win the, the Foot Locker National Championships in cross-country. She came out of our program, um, and she was also, you know, Know, state champion across country and in multiple events in track. Um, and then Tally McCumber, who was eventually ran at University of Kentucky. Uh, Lindsey Hilton, who ran at University of Michigan. Brooke Handler, who was also a state champion across country uh, for Rochester High School, went on to run at University of Michigan. Um, so we took, we had some pretty good athletes that came out of that program that went on to compete uh, really well at the high school level, but also. Uh, you know, at the D1 level in college, and then eventually as professional runners for some of them. Um, and so that's kind of where my transition was between the time I was coaching at Rochester uh, College to Lake Orion. I was doing that. I did that for 13 years and uh, coaching that program and developing it. And that's how Lake Orion found out about me. And I, they had reached out to me out of the blue uh, asking me, hey, listen, we are looking for a, a head coach to coach our girls track and field program here, would you be interested uh, in, uh, in talking to us about it? So, yeah, sure, I'd, I'd be interested in doing it. Um, and so, I, you know, we hit it off and uh, went out there to that program. And it was a situation where um, they had been struggling for a number of years. They had not won very many meets at all over the, the previous five years before I had gotten there. Um, and so our goal was to basically try to figure out how can we turn this program around. And the first thing we had to do, I felt, was basically to change the culture of the program uh, that was out there. And, and fortunately, I had really good assistant coaches, too, uh, that uh, were on board with what we were trying to do. And we slowly but surely started to uh, develop that program and, uh, and build it to where we eventually you know, won three consecutive league championships, three consecutive regional championships and then uh you know we're you know, among the top five best teams in the state of michigan uh, on the track side um you know cross country i also helped out with that too uh with our girls program up there and you know, we did pretty well with that as well I had several years there in a row that we our team qualified to compete the state meet uh for cross country uh so it was, it was a great experience a lot of fun and it was you know, one of the states, especially the past few, the past few years I was there, uh, you know, we had multiple athletes that you know, went on to compete at the college level, uh, and some of them they're they're competing right now uh, at the Division One level. You know, some at your University of Michigan, some at Wisconsin, uh, a couple of them at University of Detroit. Uh, so it's you know, kind of fun to see them now competing at the college level uh, and seeing how they're excelling. So it's uh, you know, one of those things that uh, I really enjoy doing. Now, I figure the answer to this next question is probably going to be pretty similar to the one at Rochester, but highlights from Lake Orion, was building the program and seeing it succeed kind of the same, like a highlight just kind of like you saw at Rochester, or were there other ones as well? Yeah, yeah, I, I think, you know, for me as a coach, uh, as a coach, in a gener this is in a very general way, 
I, a highlight for any coach for to me is taking an athlete and you know, they're just basically a, uh, for lack of a better term, uh, a blob of clay, so to speak. And so my job as the coach is to try to figure out how can I mold that athlete into uh, improving their performance. And, and for me, a highlight, is, I think, for any coach is to take an athlete and to see, hey, this is what we're doing in the way of training, and to watch them develop and to improve and uh, to see any kind of little improvement, I think, is, is definitely going to be a highlight for me as a coach. But, you know, the icing on the cake, of course, is whenever you're uh, uh, winning championships and that kind of thing. That, that's when you, it's really kind of fun to, to see that develop. But, you know, at the high school level, it's a little bit different of a situation because you have – you. You, you have rules at the high school level that you're not supposed to be recruiting kids outside of your district. And so because of that, you basically, this is what you, you get, whoever's in the school and whoever comes out for the team. And, of course, you have to do a little bit of, you know, convincing kids maybe within your school to come out for the team. They're not sure, okay, do I want to do this? Or do I want to, do I want to go play uh, the softball team? Or do I want to play on the soccer team? Whatever, at the school. And so you got to do a little bit of, so to speak, recruiting uh, within the school to get the kids to come out. But, it's you know, one of those things is, uh, you like I said, you, you, you're you dealt the hand that you're, you've been dealt with the athletes you've been given. And so you have some athletes that are going to be really good at the varsity level, but then you also have a group of athletes too that are these, you know, the, they're, they're the JV caliber athletes, junior varsity athletes. And for me, uh, you know, I know some coaches out there, I hate to say this, but, and I don't, I don't want to knock them or anything, but they're all about developing the varsity kids. And the JV kids are just basically left over and given the scraps. But for me, I, I really wanted to see a, a program develop from the slowest kid on the team to the best kid on the team. I want to see it across the board. And so, you know, for us, you know, I, I, I not only wanted to excel at the varsity level for our kids, I wanted us to excel at the GV level too. And so, you know, there was, you know, a meet for an example that we competed in every year at Lake Orion, and it, it's, a, it's the three GV relays. And it was basically kind of a meet that, you know, anywhere from 20 to 25 teams would compete in this meet. And um, that was a meet that I never lost in the seven years I was at Lake Orion because I, I felt so strongly that, okay, these varsity kids, they're going to get a lot of attention. I want these JV kids to get recognized as well. And that was one of the things that I really uh, saw as a highlight, even at the JV level, us winning that meet on a yearly basis, I think, was a big deal uh, for our JV kids. They got so excited about it. They knew it. They all of them knew that it was about to come up uh, each year, and uh, and each year that we won it, they, they just loved every minute of it. So it's you know those are you know, a lot of uh, what I consider the highlights when you talk about the coaching of high school is that development part of it. Now you've already mentioned the recruiting there's a difference in recruiting from high school to college because you don't really do it in high school, but was there any other differences at the co- high school level than from the college level? Well, I, you know, at the, at the high school level, uh, I think uh, these days especially, uh, I think a lot of high school kids have entirely too much on their plate. Uh, I think some of that is because they are trying to build their, their quote, 
resume in quotes uh, where uh, where since the resume of trying to impress colleges. I've done all these things in high school in addition to the fact that I've done well academically. And so you have a lot of high school kids that are involved in, in way too many things. And, and the more that you have on your plate, um, it really spreads, I think, a lot of high school kids really thin to the point to where by the time you get them at, on a sports team, you're, you're, are you getting the full – uh, potential of the athlete because they're already spread too thin. Whereas at the college level, you are you, you see I think a big difference there because um, the college athlete, sure, you know, depending on the athlete, they might have to have a side job, but they're also studying that kind of thing. But you know, they've been a lot of college athletes have been recruited to compete on the team. I'm not going to get wrong. It's you know, student first, athlete second. As purely my philosophy and always has been. Um, but at the same time, they, they they don't have probably as much on the plate as what the high school kid does um, in today's world. I think, uh, based off of coaching both the high school level and at the college level. From your time running to when you finished coaching. How have you kind of seen training change or training philosophies change? Um, well, I think uh, part of the big one has been uh, the concept of, um, how should I say this, um, really focusing your training uh, in one specific area uh, versus, uh, and I think I will say, I think that's really kind of how it really was back back in the in the old days, uh, where okay, if I'm going to be a, a distance runner, it's all about the mileage. It's really building the endurance and and uh, and cranking out the miles and that kind of thing. Uh, and don't get me wrong, I think that's still an important aspect in today's training as well. But I think uh, what we've seen is in, is uh, training evolve from that where it's very very specific type of, I'm just training one element to the whole scheme of things and developing an athlete to where now it's more of a, uh, a multilateral approach to training where not only am I training endurance as a distance runner, but I'm also focusing on strength, I'm focusing on speed, I'm focusing on coordination, I'm focusing on flexibility, and all of those I think are important components to training the full athlete when it comes to um, uh, training even distance runners. Uh, I think, you know, keep in mind, I think those, the, the proportion of how much you train each one of those is going to change based off of where you are in your training. Uh, so, you know, as you are uh, in your base period, of course, you're going to be you know, focusing a lot on that multilateral approach where you're, you're doing a little bit of everything. You're probably going, you know, a little bit more on the endurance side uh, at that point. But you're also really focusing, too, on the strength and the flexibility, the coordination, that kind of thing. But as you get further into your training, you get more into, especially in your, in your competitive season, so to speak, uh, you know, that training starts to, to change somewhat uh, to where the proportions change as to I'm now switching gears a little bit, and now it's time for me to start focusing a little more on my speed, that kind of thing. And, you know, I, I think that um, uh, for me, i give you an example, you know, with the way I've tra I train athletes, uh, uh, especially business runners, I, 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 almost every single day, when they get done, if they're getting done with a long run, 
they're going to do some stride outs or strides when they get done, uh, like 100, 150 meters long, where they're you know doing either build-ups or they're doing strides, that kind of thing, to basically uh, work on that speed element almost every single day. I'm not saying that you're doing a, you're cranking out a ton of them. You just may do four or five of them, um, and you're you're still throwing that speed element into it on a daily basis. Whereas before in the past, I don't think you would have ever had have seen something like that, um, except for maybe in very very really good coaches out there that maybe didn't were ahead of their time in that in that regard. So so I think that's been a big part of it and uh, how I've seen it evolve over the years. So, you've taken a break from coaching again to work on your doctor, which we'll talk about in a second, but just got to throw the question in here. Would you be open to coaching, even if it's maybe at like this, an assistant coaching position? Um, yeah, yeah, I think I, I probably would. Uh, it's because I, uh, it's something that um, I've, I've always enjoyed doing. I mean, I've coached for 25 years. And, um, you know, for, to be a head coach of, of, a, of a program, I don't think people want to realize uh, how big of a job it is, uh, especially in our sport because, you know, for a lot of head coaches, they're not only doing maybe track in the spring, but they're also doing cross country in the fall. And in some regards, whether they're the head coach or the assistant coach, uh, and then they have, you know, either an indoor track season if you're at the college level or indoor conditioning if you're at the high school level. I think you're focusing on throughout the wintertime. And then you're jumping into it in the spring with, uh, with track again. Uh, and then I know some guys are going into the summer even and doing, working with club teams, you know. Uh, so they're basically doing it year-round. And it gets to, you know, be – how should I say this? It gets – to be at a point to where it, it's, it just starts to kind of weigh on you after a while. Uh, so for me, uh, you know, if I'm to get back into coaching again, it probably would be a scenario where, yeah, I think assistant position would be very appealing to me. Uh, I know for me, you know, working a doctor right now is because of the, of the load that's involved with that, because the program I'm in and how intense it is. Um, it'd be hard to juggle both coaching and that. And also what I still do at the university, uh, which is, you know, I'm still teaching uh, in our sports management program at Rochester University. Um, and so it's just, it'd be challenging to do all three of those at once uh, if I was to try to coach. So, uh, but yeah, but I wouldn't rule it out for down the road uh, in the back of my mind. Well, I would say that I know we had him on the podcast like weeks ago, but I think uh, you and – Alex Wilson, who's the coach now, would get along really well because it seems like your coaching philosophies are pretty similar. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He and I have talked quite a bit about that, and uh, so he, he's a great guy. He is doing a great job with that the program at Rochester for sure. Yeah, when you were talking about building the program earlier on, it's it's almost like he's doing the same thing now with the way. When he inherited it, there was really nothing there, and now it's right. it's building once again. So yeah, yeah, which is really, makes makes me really happy to see. That's for sure. So, so how is the doctorate going? Uh, it's going really well. It's uh, it's uh, keeping me very busy. Uh, it's a you know program that uh, is in global sport leadership. And so because of that, you know, we look at uh, the global perspective of sports and uh, how sports are done all around the world and uh, not only in the sense of how it's governed but also from a cultural perspective too because the views of competition around the world uh, you know 
depends on where you are uh, uh, in the world as to how you approach sports. And so it's been really interesting and fascinating for me to kind of see uh, that from a global perspective. Uh, and we were supposed to be going overseas in May. And so that kind of, because of the whole COVID-19 situation, uh, that kind of threw a wrench in, the, in those plans. And so we were having to put a hold on that uh, to where we can wait until hopefully we'll be able to travel uh, in the future uh, to do some study and research overseas. But we were fortunate to the time we were supposed to be overseas, uh, this throughout the month of May, uh, they pretty much brought overseas to us. And you know, Zoom is one of those things that, you know, I would have never thought that I would be using Zoom as much as I am in today's world. Uh, and if there's any good thing that came out of all this, it's probably, probably it, where it's been able to allow us to be able to connect with people in a different way uh, internationally. And so because of that, they were able to stand up a situation where we had uh, 25 to 26 uh, international speakers from all over the world, Australia, uh, the Netherlands, uh, England, Wales, Scotland, Ireland, uh, Italy. Um, and it was just a really, really good experience to interact with them and to hear from them through Zoom uh, to allow us to be able to kind of see how they do and operate things uh, and all different aspects of sports. I mean, it was fascinating. Formula One racing to, uh, uh, to uh, soccer or football, what the rest of the world calls it, uh, to um, uh, gambling and sports uh, in, uh, in Europe, to uh, golf in Ireland, to uh, mountain biking in Scotland, volleyball in Ireland. It was just really interesting to kind of see how those things operate and function in different places around the world. Uh, so it's uh, been a, a great program and something I've been really excited about doing. Um, and it's, you know, it, what I'm doing research in is fascinating to me. Uh, so it's something that, that uh, I, I, I really enjoy doing. Yeah, that was going to be, you kind of hit on one of my questions about with the virus, how was it going? So they still plan on potentially taking a trip later on if everything calms down? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It may not, my, you know, of course, my wife and I, we might just go ahead and do, uh, do it on our own. This Hopefully, maybe this winter, uh, travel over to Portugal and Morocco, because uh, that's where we're planning on going as part of our trip, but also in England. Uh, but the... Uh, uh, that hopefully by next May comes back around uh, where we'll be able to travel with our doctoral cohort uh, overseas to where we can study and uh, do some coursework together over there. Hopefully, we'll, we'll see uh, how it all pans out between now and then. So unpredictable right now. It's very unpredictable, but at least uh, that would be cool to go see it no matter what. Yeah, yeah. That's what we're, we're hoping to do. So... so I kind of skipped over one of the questions, but you had a marathon, a bad situation with a, or a bad experience with a marathon, I should say, that you can, uh, for the listeners, we'll save them the story, but you ended up stop, stopped running after that marathon. What do you do now for exercise and getting outside and stuff? Okay, yeah, um, I think for... For me, running was always a huge part of my life. From the time I was 10 up until you know, I was 40, uh, it, it was a big part of me as a participant in the sport. Uh, and then, of course, uh, you know, coaching you know, overlapped that time period. I started coaching when I was you know, about 24 years old, 23, 24. Um, and, of course, you know, coaching all the way up until almost my you know, until I'm 50. 
And so, uh, so it's always been a big part of my life. And so because of that, endurance sports have always been an interest to me. And so, uh, so one of the things that's uh, uh, two big things I really enjoy uh, are hiking and mountain biking. Um, and you know, for me, I I have always enjoyed those to begin with. And I love the sport of cycling. I, it's kind of weird because you know, as a track guy, cross country guy, uh, you know, track is you know, one of my favorite sports, of course. But probably cycling might actually be my my favorite sport in the way of being as a fan. Uh, I just love uh, the Tour de France. is my is my favorite sports event on a yearly basis, um, and so because of that, you know, for me, it, it was kind of a draw for me to kind of get to that uh, aspect of mountain biking because it's kind of a cross between cross country running, which I love running on the trails, uh, to incorporating that with biking. It's a, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of great mountain biking trails uh, in the area that I live in here in Rochester, Rochester Hills. Uh, and also north up in the Oakland Township, and so it, it's, a, it's just a really good fit for me. But one of the things that my wife and I have started doing uh, just in the past uh, three years or so um, is that you know every state uh, has a the highest point in that state, and so what we have kind of taken on as a mission is to go to these different states and hike the highest point in each state. And so far, we've done uh, 21 high points around the country. Uh, we, in fact, we just did uh, uh, Michigan's high point last week, uh, along with Wisconsin's as well. And it is, it's just a lot of fun to do. I mean, it's, uh, it's challenging. I mean, some of them aren't very challenging at all. You're talking about Florida, which is basically drive your car to a parking lot and you walk a few feet to the highest point, and the highest point is 345 feet. But then you have a situation like we were in in Texas, where you know, the highest point in Texas is a little under 9,000 feet. It's about a four and a half mile hike with about a 3,000 to 4,000 feet elevation change from where you start up to the top of where the summit is. Um, it, and you know, four and a half miles up, four and a half miles back, it's you know, it's challenging, especially at high altitude. And so it's uh, something that we love to do, and uh, it was something that I would love to be able to hit all 50 of them at some point uh, down the road. Uh, but we'll see if it all works out that way or not. Uh, well, the great thing, I think, about that is we get to experience a lot of parts of the country that people would never go and see. Some of these places are in pretty remote locations, and it, so it's fun to kind of explore different parts of the country that people typically don't uh, visit at all. Yeah, I've definitely seen some of the pictures that you guys have posted from hiking those, and they're pretty cool areas. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, it's a lot of fun to do. A lot of fun. I just enjoy playing them and trying to plan how how we're going to uh, get there. And it, it takes planning. You better know what you're doing. Uh, some of these, especially when you get up uh, higher elevations, you got to plan for the weather for sure, uh, because you know there's bad storms that can roll in all of a sudden. All of a sudden, and if you're up there, uh, you know five miles away from civilization, and you're stuck in bad weather, it can get kind of scary in a hurry if you don't know what you're doing. Uh, so it's it's really important to, to plan. So. All right, we're going to wrap it up with one more question. If there is one thing that you've taken away from running, either as a runner or coaching, what would that be? Um, I would say, uh, for me, this is, of course, this is for me. Uh, you know, for, for me, I think that any kind of, of sport, whether it's running or playing football, whatever it is, and I'm, I'm kind of approaching it, taking this approach uh, from a philosophical perspective. Uh, um, and I, I, for me, try to improve 
the human body and trying to get the most out of your body and to, to, to uh, achieve your excellence, whatever that excellence might be, I think is, is, is beneficial to you as a human being, not only physically, but also, I think, uh, psychologically and emotionally. Um, I think it's, it's uh, something that uh, a lot of people uh, should try to, to do as an individual. How can I uh, achieve excellence in my life from whatever that might be? And uh, I, I think that is one of the great things about sports because that's what sports should really be all about that is how do I uh, pursue excellence uh, and, how, and how I improve my performance um, as, as someone who is partaking in this activity. Um, and so I think that's, that's the biggest thing that I have taken away from the time whenever I was a young kid starting out in sports to throughout my whole running career, uh, high school and college, uh, and also as a college and high school and middle school uh, coach as well. Uh, I think it's important that we uh, think of sport in that, in that regard. All right. Well, thank you for taking time out of your day to let me ask you a few questions. Yeah, sure. My, my pleasure. Once again, we'd like to thank Dave Hudson for joining the podcast. As I said, it was a great interview. I really enjoyed having him on the podcast. He has a lot of knowledge and a lot of experience, and I like picking his brain from time to time. And we've had, like I said, many conversations about the same things, and he's told us many stories of which that he we kind of alluded to in the interview during his classes. So he says he's a shy guy, but get him going on cross-country, and he loves to talk. So thanks again, Dave, for letting us ask you some questions and finding some time between doing your own doctorate degree and getting ready for college to resume here this fall, whether that's online or in in person. And then, of course, while you're trying to hike the high points around the country, which I think is totally cool. And he's updated us when we were in classes of which ones he's done and stuff like that. So he's not currently in the running scene anymore, but he's still finding activities to do to keep him active. So thanks again, Dave. And really, guys, like I said, the intro and conclusion or the warm-up and cool-down as you're used to it here in the Believe in the Long Run podcast series going to be pretty short this week just because of how good of an interview it was, how in-depth it was. And I like the content that we talked about and thought it was interesting. And I highly suggest if there's a podcast you listen to, this is the one that you go back and listen to. I think this is the best interview that we've had so far. So we're going to try to keep playing with the guests and getting them on the show and I think I have an idea for a really creative one that I'm still trying to figure out everybody's availability if it works out this week we'll try to throw them in here and get it into that episode later in the week keep your eyes out I know it's been jam-packed because last week's episode was a little delayed on getting up but this one's almost right on schedule and we'll get one in here at the end of the week as well so you're going to get slammed with new episodes but we got to get ourselves back on track and back in motion to our routine. So we'll catch up from where we've been behind from a week, hopefully by the end of this week, and get back on track next week. So thanks for listening, guys. Remember, go like our social media. You can find us on Instagram at Believe in the Long Run and on Twitter at The Long Run 5. Like, subscribe, and leave comments on what you like to hear any suggestions you'd like to know about running-wise or tri- or tips. Any of that is, success- is supported and appreciated. And while you're at it, go back, 
share this podcast because I this is probably my favorite one so far. We've had a lot of good memorable ones. We've had Aaron Finn on and Leah O'Connor and Sarah Kroll and Coach Loftel from Detroit Mercy and Alex Wilson. So we're building ourselves a little bit of a resume, but we still got to get we still got some room to grow and we've had some memorable ones and maybe some not some memorable ones. We'll reminisce cuz we're getting close to 25 episodes here soon, but I'm rambling now and I said I wouldn't. So remember go like the social media, go follow our pages on the podcast platform such as Apple, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and of course believe.com. Make sure you like, subscribe, and follow those so that way you can be updated when new episodes come out. And thank you for listening, guys. Hope you enjoyed this one. Look out for episode 22 later this week, and we'll talk to you later. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.